chanting this evening, recollecting the qualities of the Buddha, the Dhamma and the Sangha. And um, although it's not specifically listed in that way, it, it fits very beautifully in the theme of, of right thought because uh, filling the mind with these beautiful and wholesome qualities. It's, uh, you know, if we th- when you think about the kind of nonsense that can go on in the mind, and then you can fill the mind with these beautiful qualities. So <clears throat> take it as part of the practice of cultivating right thought. And uh, we're going to defy, defy conventions a little bit and do the morning chanting. you find it on page two. The chant only in English t- uh, tonight. <laughs> to the blessed one, the Lord, who fully attained perfect enlightenment, to the teaching which he expounded so well. And to the blessed one's (coughs) disciples who have practiced well, to these the Buddha, the Dhamma and the Sangha, we render with offerings our rightful homage. It is well for us that the blessed one, having attained liberation, still had compassion for later generations. May these simple offerings be accepted for our long-lasting benefit and for the happiness it gives us. The noble, the perfectly enlightened and blessed one, I render homage to the Buddha, the Blessed One. The teaching so, so completely explained by him, I bow to the Dhamma. The Blessed One's disciples who have practiced well, I bow to the Sangha. Now let us pay our preliminary homage to the Buddha. Homage to the blessed, noble, and perfectly enlightened one. Homage to the blessed, noble, and perfectly enlightened one. 
Homage to the blessed, noble, and perfectly enlightened one. Now let us chant in praise of the Buddha. The Dathagata is the pure one, the perfectly enlightened one. He is impeccable in conduct and understanding. The accomplished one, the knower of the worlds. He trains perfectly those who wish to be trained. He is teacher of devas and humans. He is awake and holy. In this world with its devas, demons and kind spirits, its seekers and sages, celestial and human beings, he has by deep insight revealed the truth. He has pointed out the Dhamma, beautiful in the beginning, beautiful in the middle, beautiful in the end. He has explained the spiritual life of complete purity in its essence and conventions. I chant my praise to the Blessed One. I bow my head to the Blessed One. Now let us chant in praise of the Dhamma. The Dhamma is well expounded by the Blessed One, apparent here and now, timeless, encouraging investigation, leading in words to be experienced individually by the wise. I chant my praise to this teaching. I bow my head to this truth. Now let us chant in praise of the Sangha. They are the, the blessed, blessed one's disciples who have practiced well, who have practiced directly, who have practiced insightfully, those who practice with integrity, that is the four pairs, the eight kinds of noble beings. These are the blessed one's disciples. Such ones are worthy of gifts, worthy of hospitality, worthy of offerings, worthy of respect. They give occasion for incomparable goodness to arise in the world. I chant my praise to this Sangha. I bow my head to this Sangha. Before we settle into the meditation, we can just do the mantra of the Eightfold Path. We can do it three times. We'll do a little bell in between. If you could pass me the...
afternoon. <clears throat> oh yes, sorry, I was hiding, hiding. <laughs> okay. Samma ditti samma sankapo samma vacha samma kamanto samma hajiwo samma vayamo samma sati samma samati samma ditti samma sankapo Samma Vacha Samma Kamanto Samma Hajiwo Samma Vayamo Samma Sati Samma Samadhi Samma Ditti Samma Sankapo Samma Vacha Samma Kamanto Samma Hajiwo Samma Vayamo Samma Sati Samma Samadhi
So we have a short break and then uh, I send the cheetah will offer the Dhamma reflection this evening.
<coughs> so I think most everybody has come back. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambutasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambutasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambutasa Bhutang dhammang sankhang namasami So that's how we usually start the talk, trying and open up the connection so we get some some support, so we can give a decent talk. So I sh- I'm speaking today about uh, the second factor of the Noble Eightfold Path, which is uh, called Right Thought, Sama Sankapa, and sometimes it's also called Right Intention or Right Resolve. And you know, it it's all deal, it deals all with overcoming the power of habitual mind, because it's so. You know, we are running a lot of the time on on automatic control, so to say, of our habitual mind. And you know, based on right view, Ananda Bodhi spoke about right view yesterday. Based on right view, view we are practicing right thought with the support of right effort and right mindfulness. So you know, they are all kind of supporting each other and with the right intention and right thought you know we are starting to making uh, you know headway into this field of conditioning which is so you know our whole world is colored by it and uh, right thought you know it's broken down in three areas thought free from lust renunciation or generosity and thoughts free from ill will non ill will or loving kindness and thoughts free from harm and cruelty harmlessness or compassion so those are the three you know areas i'd like to cover each of them a little bit tonight and you know there's this um Quote from the suttas, whatever one frequently thinks and ponders upon, that will become the inclination of the mind. So, you know, if we ponder upon lust, ill will and cruelty, then, you know, our mind slowly but surely will tend towards that more and more and it will be easier and easier, you know, to, to think in that way, to speak in that way and to act in that way. And if we are practicing the opposite, then you know the mind will more and more easily be inclined towards sorts of renunciation, loving kindness, and compassion. And then speech will follow, and action will follow. So it's you know all of our practices is about this. You could say you try to turn it around, you know, turn it in the wholesome direction, which you know will have 
good results in terms of our relationships and in, in terms of our daily life, but also, you know, it will bring us increasing more freedom so that we can, you know, see deeply into the mind and uproot those, you know, roots of greed, hatred and delusion and, you know, the complete letting go and uprooting of those is, you know, what Nibbana is all about, our enlightenment. So, you know, when we are attending to the mind in this way, we are taking care of uh, worldly happiness as well as of, you know, the final goal of the practice, which is, you know, complete letting go of these three roots. And, um, you know, starting with the first one, thoughts free from lust, renunciation and generosity. You know, especially the word renunciation is not, you know, not has not very good uh, PR in the, in this time and age. You know, and people usually feel afraid or they think we all want everybody, we have to become monks and nuns and all of that. But in reality, uh, what renunciation is all pointing towards is to non-addiction, you know. So, you know, have, being able to, to have a choice, you know, if you are saying something or eating something or thinking something or doing something, to just have, have this capacity to, to choose rather than be, you know, kind of swept along by the power of the conditioning, which happens usually a lot of the time. So... You know, it's renunciation is not about suppression, but it's about, you know, reflecting on experience in a way which leads to more space around it and then to an increasing capacity to choose and more ease, you know. I'm sure, you know, you all know when you are under, you know, about addiction, you know, whatever substance it may be in, you know, kind of, uh, innocent substance like cup of tea, but it can go pretty far down the line. You know, it's about life and death in some cases. So it's a very huge field, you know, the field of addiction. And, and renunciation is the opposite of addiction. And I, I, I assume, you know, quite a few of us have come to this path because we were noticing the power of addiction, you know, and how dangerous it is. And wanted to know more about it. And, and suddenly I end up in a meditation retreat. <laughs> and... Um, you know, the way to to kind of get a little bit of an understanding about renunciation is is by reflecting, you know, on the on the drawbacks of, of sense pleasures, the danger of it. And familiarizing ourselves with the rewards of renunciation, you know, the, the freedom and, and that taste of freedom, you know, if if we we have a choice, you know, if we're going to eat this or drink this or not, you know. This is just such a feeling of empowerment, you know. And uh, in the scriptures it's said, you know, that 
ill will and uh, aversion <coughs> uh, in terms of making unwholesome karma uh, more dangerous than than greed and greed and lust. But uh, ill will and aversion is usually easier to uproot because it's such an unpleasant mind state, you know, when we are under the under the influence of it. Whereas with greed and lust, you know, there can be an element of, of uh, pleasure in it, you know. We can even be, you know, addicted to wanting itself, you know, not, not even wanting anything in particular, but that sense of purpose, you know, of kind of leaning into the future to have this or to have that, the sense of, you know, being somebody and having a direction, having, you know, having an a mission or something like that. That can be that in itself can be addictive, you know, even independent of the object. And you know, if you might have, you know, had an experience like that in your life where you had a very strong sense of purpose for maybe many years, you know. And then the whole thing just kind of falls apart like a house of cards and then there's all of this space. And there's like a feeling of like, who am I, you know, like losing, losing identity. It can be very disconcerting, you know, and uh, confusing. And then it's really important, I think, you know, to, to reflect on it and, and see that that's a good thing, actually. You know, it's better to, to not know, much better to, than to just run after, you know, kind of, dreams or ideas is pretty kind of uh, rough awakening, you know, but sometimes this is what, ha what has to happen and then it's going to happen and then it's, it's good to, to uh, you know, take, take the pain and, and just be with it and learn from it so that we hopefully will not recreate you know, the next one and the next one and the next one. And, uh, you know, I want to read a quote from the Buddha about that, um, you know, about getting a taste for renunciation, for, for the benefit of it, being not being afraid of it. Uh, where should I start? Even I myself, before my awakening, when I was still an unawakened bodhisattva, thought, renunciation is good, seclusion is good, but my heart didn't leap up at renunciation, didn't grow confident, steadfast or firm, seeing it at peace. The thought occurred to me, what is the cause, what is the reason why my heart doesn't leap up at renunciation? doesn't grow confident, steadfast, or firm, seeing it as peace. Then the thought occurred to me. I haven't seen the drawback of sensual pleasures. I haven't pursued that theme. I haven't understood the reward of renunciation. I haven't familiarized myself with it. That's why my heart doesn't leap up at renunciation, doesn't grow confident, steadfast, or firm, seeing it at peace seeing it as peace. So, you know, that, that's work, really, you know, to, to familiarize ourselves with it and, and uh, come back to that, you know, reflection. 
so that because it's it's kind of counterintuitive, you know, to to a, a mind, you know, which is bombarded by so much stuff every day as as minds in this day and age are, you know, wherever you go, just want to go and buy uh, maybe like a piece of bread, you know, and you, you can't go into almost anywhere without being bombarded with tons of things, you know, it's it's just very, very hard to to connect with that if we don't put in some what's called right effort, you know, we have to kind of familiarize ourselves with this, cultivate it, you know, and, and the the Pali word for for meditation is, is bhavana and that means actually cultivation, you know. That means, you know, if we are cultivating something, that means, you know, we are we are um, making a connection, you know, we are putting in something, we are it's a repetitive thing, we have to do it many, many times, you know, to strengthen that connection to that truth really. Like when we cultivate a friendship, you know, with somebody, that means, you know, we are seeking them out, you know. And we are giving something from ourselves in order to have this connection. And that's the same what we have to do with with those insights, you know. We have to give something, some time and some space and some unpleasant feeling, I suppose, as well, you know, because it's going to shift us inside. Because, you know, that the essence of the practice is actually renunciation, not only in terms of, you know, sense pleasures, but also a lot of in terms of views and opinions and ideas, you know, about the way things are. It's, it's about, you know, letting go of conditioning or, or reconditioning. So it's renunciation is somehow, you know, one way how we can sum up the whole practice, you know, renunciation of of delusion really and that's not necessarily always a pleasant undertaking you know when we see through certain you know assumptions that can be very painful but it will have a pleasant result on the on the long term And also, you know, how renunciation, how that can be kind of practiced in our lives is, is you know, to, to have more, be more centered within ourselves and, and instead of going with the arising and ceasing, you know, of this, of desires, we are just kind of observing them and, and letting them do their thing, you know, and not acting on it. So rather than you know being or becoming that desire and acting from that, we are just holding it in awareness and um, allowing it to to do its thing without becoming it. And you know, once that capacity is strengthened through the practice, then you know. We can taste that that the taste of freedom and you know, of being able to say no with ease, you know, because we we have uh, 
understood the drawbacks. And then it's no longer, you know, like a, a, a strong battle or anything. It's just, it's, it's a, an expression of, uh, of our strength and of our understanding of our wisdom, you know. And, uh, you know, we have to maybe start with small things first, you know, just checking your email one time less than you do, or maybe have just like one cup of coffee a day and with little things, you know, and then actually taking in what that gives you, you know, in terms of uh, maybe self-respect, you know, and uh, more time, more more space, more ease, and then maybe, you know, gradually kind of uh, taking on more, you know, taking on, you know, some of the being being willing to put things, uh, put uh, put down some of the I me and mine stories and just coming back to the present moment. And uh, you know, and then the friction, you know, which we which we feel, you know, if we don't go with the habitual um, things, and just knowing, you know, that it's it's very much worth that investment, you know, of of somehow dissonance, you know, because we're going against the grain, that this kind of uh, stress, you know, is ve- is well worth in exchange, you know, for the other stresses which are created if we are kind of um, strengthening unskillful habits. You know, and that kind of knowing can only come by by, by reflecting, you know, on on the drawbacks of being, you know, so tightly wedded to, to, to certain things, you know, how kind of narrow it makes our lives also. And, uh, you know, so, so basically the wisdom of saying no, like you, you, you say no out of, of love, you know, for, for a child, for example. Saying saying no, and sometimes you know have to say no in quite a strong way because you don't want that child you know to kind of burn itself on the stove or some, something like that. And uh, and you know really kind of paying attention what it does to your lives, you know, and and then, you know, looking back over the years and, and seeing, you know, what does it, has it led your life to, you know, take on more strength and, uh, you know, conserve energy, bring more steadiness, more peace or not, you know. Because if we can, you know, if we reflect in that way, that can give us also, again, you know, more more um, inspiration, you know, to, to take on bigger, bigger things in our lives. And I have a quote of Ajahn Chah, you know, we have been uh, trained in monasteries connected with that lineage and that that quote was used a lot, you know. If you let go a little, you have a little peace. 
if you let go a lot, you have a lot of peace. And if you let go completely, you have complete peace. Your struggle with the world have your struggles with the world will have come to an end. So really it you know, whatever we are willing to put in, that's what comes back to us, you know, to put in in terms of time and right effort and you know and that willingness you know to hold with the dissonance when we are going against the grain that's you know and that directly comes back to us in terms of peace and and freedom and um, choice and you know it's it's really important to reflect back you know how it was when you started to practice and you know how how things have changed to do that regularly can really help you know to give us a feeling of uh, of inspiration you know, for the practice and to to just to keep going even sometimes you know we we feel like we don't know what we are doing especially you know that, that if some some kind of big delusion suddenly kind of pops open because it's the right time because we can't go with the sledgehammer and do that, you know. It has to be the right time and then it's going to happen. And then you again feel like, whoa, I just feel more deluded than when I started. But then, you know, if we really stay with the, with the reflection, it can't be like this. So it's it's really um, you know renunciation is really a very important part of the practice and and not to get kind of you know stuck in the in the in the surface of it but really take it deeper and then you know the next one is. Uh, uh, thoughts free from ill will or loving kindness, non ill will. You know, it's like a generosity, or openness of the heart, which simply, you know, wishes may you be well, you know, to all beings without any kind of a, um, preference. You know, and for example, His Holiness the Dalai Lama is like very well-known uh, example of that, you know, where who, with whomever he is, you know, he is just like fully there and he, he, he treats everybody the same way, you know, the cleaner in the hotel and the president of, of some country, he, he has that capacity, you know, to be everybody, he's just fully with them when he's with them. And people feel that, you know, they feel very special and very seen and cared for in that moment, you know, because he 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 doesn't really think about himself. He's just there. And uh, just simply, you know, may you be happy. And this is why it's called like an immeasurable or a boundless or a div divine abode because... It isn't about an individual, it is about the all sentient beings. And Ayananda Bodhi was giving guidance about that this afternoon, I think. 
and uh, yeah, you know, not working actually with with this classic scheme, you know, which speaks about you know loving kindness to a respected person, loving kindness to a neutral person, and loving kindness to an quote unquote enemy. But it's just like the 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 um, quality of loving kindness itself, independent of of any particular, you know, motivation other than may all beings be happy. And uh, there is like a great kind of sense of, you know, there's a great purity in that. And uh, there's a one sutta which is called the Metta Sutta, which is, you know, speaking about those qualities. And I think I'm, I, I wanted to read a little bit to you about that. And maybe we, later on we can do it. Um, where is it? Uh, here. Just a part of it. Wishing in gladness and in safety. May all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be. Whether they are weak or strong. Omitting none. The great or the mighty. Medium, short or small the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born. May all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life, her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart, should one cherish all living beings, radiating kindness over the entire world. So it's like you get an idea, and it's all about opening the heart really big. And, you know, and and that really has a very, you know, if we are practicing that in, in the loving-kindness meditation like Ayananda Bodhi has been guiding us, you know, if we do that frequently, if we do that a lot, it just starts to soften up, you know, our hearts and minds and they become more more smooth, more gentle, you know, then there's more capacity for patience and for capacity, you know, to be less reactive when we are challenged and... You know, then there's more possibility for wisdom to arise, and we will make better choices. Then our lives, you know, will take on uh, more peacefulness and more strength. And because of that, again, you know, we have more capacity for metta, and it's like an upward spiral, really. So it's a it's a way, you know, how we can uh, create more space in our lives and. You know, and then we have more space for the teachings, really, you know, to flow into this, that space and, and inform us and we can act, you know, skillfully. So it's, it's a, you know, when I started to, to practice now quite a few years ago, I didn't have much kind of respect for these practices. I just felt like I'm I'm coming for the wisdom practices and then I'd like to learn all about that, you know. But the meta thing, um, 
not really interested because this is just like, you know, sugarcoating experience. And the thing, you know, I just didn't really understand, you know, how that works. And uh, now, you know, practicing for quite some years and, uh, you know, living in community since a very long time, you know, sometimes, you know, meta practice is really the only way how you can work with something. And it's a very powerful practice. And I have changed my mind definitely about it. Even I'm not really good at it yet, but I'm, I'm, I'm not going to give up. What? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and there's, or it's, it's just like... Uh, you know, starting and not stopping, and then that's how we do it, you know. And we, we don't need to compare ourselves with others, or we just do the best we can, and that is good enough. And then over time, I also found it beautiful to say, over time it becomes what we are rather than what we do, you know, especially this meta practice. Then it's not anymore like, you know, we have to do and we have to kind of try to, you know, do what Ayananda Bodhi said and it's uh, like this. <laughs> but then over time it's, it, it starts to, you know, because... Uh, as I said before, yeah, what we frequently think and ponder upon will become the inclination of the mind and of the heart. You know, this is just like laws of nature. We can take advantage of those laws of nature by really, you know, kind of familiarizing ourselves how it works, and then do it. And then, slowly over time, you know, the doing aspect of it doesn't have to be anymore so kind of deliberate. We slowly become it, you know, because it starts to sink in and and uh, it gains some foothold in our being, you know. And then, you know, there is more capacity to just let the world come in, you know, and be what it is. And we can also, you know, if, if, if kind of, you know, loving kindness, maybe the word love, you know, is, is a bit, a bit difficult to, to, to work with that word because there's so much uh, conceptual overlay. But maybe kindness, you know, is a more humble quality. Maybe that is easier, you know, for us to, to start to work with, with that. You know, just a simple kindness the word kindness you know comes from from being related you know being of one kind and and remembering that you know when we are you know challenged sometimes to remember that you know we are all sentient beings we are all human beings and we have so much in common we have much more in common than than what is different, you know, between us. And that we tend to forget, you know, if, if uh, especially you know, if we live together in close quarters for many years, you know, then 
it it can especially be difficult, you know, to remember that because we 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 tend to, if we don't consciously practice, you know, we tend to look at that what we don't like or what we think is not working and what is not good and what is aggravating us and and we it's difficult you know to to turn the mind around and look at 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 those things which are working well you know looking at at the good focus on the good qualities of 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 another rather than focusing on what's difficult that's a deliberate you know practice we can we can do once we have understood you know to a deep enough that it is the only way you know we have to um, make a deliberate effort because you know evolutionary luggage is about um, you know negativity bias which you know has come to us in order to kind of help you know a body walking through the landscape and surviving you know and and now you know if we live with somebody together for you know in clo- in in a close relationship we have to just shift that we can't just operate on that we have to find different ways you know how to um relate you know and this is one way which is is working otherwise the buddha wouldn't have been sharing it with us but it requires a deliberate you know application of mind and and uh, you know through reflection we can get enough motivation going that we are willing to do this you know because it's it's sometimes not easy to master the the willingness you know even we all would like to be like the Dalai Lama, I'm sure, you know, but then the work which he has put in, we don't want to do that, isn't it? <laughs> and he has already 14 reincarnations, you know, so he has already so much ahead of us. <laughs> so, you know, focusing on the good qualities of others is one way how we can do it. And, and that, and, you know, and having and focusing, you know, on the good things others have done, you know, for us also can also help us, you know, to let have some gratitude and that can also help, you know, of getting the meta going. And, you know, I, I'm also learning to do this because it's, it's not an easy, easy practice to do, but it makes a lot of sense, I think. Yeah, and then also, you know, what I wanted to mention that on retreat especially, I think we can tap into that, you know, that to see that metta is actually is, is, a, is a quality of awareness itself, you know. As I feel, you know, all of the four Brahma Viharas, which is metta, also loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic or altruistic joy and equanimity, all four of them, you know, are qualities which are qualities of awareness, you know, which is which we can recognize and strengthen through those practices. So it's not, you know, that we have to invent them or anything. They're already there in seed form, but we have to cultivate them, make them stronger, you know, so that they're easier kind of come forth. 
when when they need to come forth, you know, because, for example, when we are really challenged, you know. And then the last one is uh, thoughts on uh, harmlessness and compassion, or thoughts free of cruelty, you know, and cruelty is like kind of a, a feeling tone of, ex you know, really heartlessness, really, which maybe not so often, you know, is challenged in us as, as the other two, you know, like uh, lust and ill will, but it can become contagious sometimes, you know, when whole countries or whole groups of people getting into a frenzy of war or some kind of extreme situation. So, you know, we all have that in seed form in our hearts as well. And if we are not challenged in that way, that's a, a great good fortune. But who knows, you know, if we be challenged, what do you do? So, you know, it's really, um, can be a very destructive force. And... Uh, Compassion is the antidote to it. And the Venerable Thich Nhat Hanh, you know, he says compassion is a verb. So it's, you know, it also, it only is a true compassion if, if it translates into some kind of an action, whatever is possible. You know, sometimes not much is possible and sometimes a lot is possible, but we need to see. And... Uh, and His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, says, compassion and love are not complicated. They are simple but difficult to practice. You know, and, and how can we awaken that, that capacity for compassion in ourselves is, is the only way how that can happen is to have, you know, a willingness to come close to our own suffering first, you know. If we can't do that, then it's impossible to open or to turn towards the suffering of another. And you know, I'm sure you're having a lot of opportunities to, you know, be with your suffering during this retreat. Sometimes maybe only little things, you know, like wanting that this talk is already over and you can go back <laughs> and have a snooze or I don't know, or go to and and have a have another cup of tea. Little things, you know, but it can also be really big things, you know. And when you you might remember certain things you have been doing or saying, you know, maybe twenty years ago, and still <gasps> you feel like this tug, you know, here in the heart. And then it's really important to just, you know, stay with it and see, you know, what. What can we learn from this? And, uh, you know, it's really the only way how we can train, you know, to, to open to the magnitude of the suffering on, on this planet. It starts with, you know, staying open to our own suffering first. And, uh, you know, being just with the truth of what is in the present moment. And and through, you know, doing that, a certain kind of equanimity starts to 
to result from that, you know, and then, then the capacity for compassion increases, you know, because without equanimity, compassion doesn't really have any anything to offer the world, you know. And, uh, you know, the first step is, is, is uh, just empathy, you know, to be able to to stay open to when you are noticing, you know, there is, is is something going on with somebody, and and even on the retreat that can be the case, you know, maybe somebody sitting close to you, you know, and you you can you pick it up, they're very restless, they're going through a lot of stuff, and then instead of kind of, you know, starting to charge, I wish they would just kind of stop, to breathe that loud or stop to you know, to make these noises when they are moving like this and to just think, oh, you know, maybe they might just go through some really hard time, you know, and and just stay with that instead of going into reactivity. That's that's a, a, a small beginning, you know. And... Uh, you know, and from that kind of you know, being able to to meet more and more and and then see, you know, what action we can take, you know. Because the, the field of compassion is really is limitless, all sentient beings, you know, and we all can find ways how we respond. You know, we all have different capacities and... Uh, different personalities, different skills. And, you know, if we have enough equanimity and, and uh, you know, have seen our own suffering, we will be able to respond from that strength, you know. And... Uh, you know, the, the Buddha before his awakening, he was a bodhisattva and he has, you know, been practicing many, many lifetimes. And, you know, and his, his motivation always was not to just, you know, alleviate the suffering of, of different situations, you know, of helping different people in, in different ways, but also, you know, to kind of penetrate to the root cause of all suffering and 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 to pull that one out, the ignorance basically and you know still today we are we, we benefit from that intention he had so you know, so many people benefit from one person you know who who had this motivation to to find the root cause for all suffering and on the way you know try to help however what was possible you know I think, you know, it, it's powerful to reflect on that. And, uh, you know, the, the combination of, of working to purify our own hearts and minds and, and then from, you know, from these pu- more purer hearts and minds, we have more capacity actually to help others. And, 
you know, just knowing that wisdom and compassion are expressions of each other. There is no way, you know, that we have, that we develop true wisdom without this translating automatically into compassion. If 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 it doesn't, then it's it's something else. You know, it's not wisdom. It's maybe knowledge, which is also necessary on the path. You know, we need to have a certain understanding of of the teaching in order to really effectively practice. But if it's real wisdom, then it's an expre- it expresses itself in compassion as well. They they are just like the two sides of a coin, really. And, uh, you know, I'd like to end with a, a, a quote by, uh, by a Tibetan teacher, Dilgo Kensa Rinpoche. And he says, when we recognize the empty selfless nature of phenomena, the energy to bring about the good of others dawns uncontrived and effortless. So, you know, to recognize the empty selfless nature of phenomena is one way of saying, you know, what wisdom is all about, you know, to understand emptiness, to understand anatta, selflessness of all phenomena is one way how we can define what wisdom is all about, wisdom of emptiness. And then he says, and then if that is understood, you know, from knowing this, then compassion wells up automatically if you see that others who have not yet realized this, you know, kind of creating all kinds of havoc in their lives. So then this compassion wells up and there is this kind of wish, you know, might everybody be able to understand this and then act accordingly and have, you know, not create so much havoc in their lives. So, And on the way, you know, by wishing this, there's also... Of course, you know, always enough opportunity to help in, in, in terms of, uh, you know, worldly, um, uh, you know, other things in, in, in life. People need to eat, people need to have education, they need to have housing, they need to have medicine. There's tons of other things, you know, which are needed as well in order to be able to realize, you know, true wisdom. Because if we... If we are too hungry, we are too confused, we cannot realize this, you know. So it all, you know, belongs together. It works on, on two levels, on, on the level of the world, in terms of, you know, needing the requisites, like as monastics, you know, we, for monastics, it's, it's spoken about the four requisites, which is, you know, food, shelter, medicine and clothing, that's the minimum without this, we cannot practice, you know. Or maybe there might be some very exceptional beings, but most people can't. There's some people who eat only, live only from air or something, you know, but <laughs> I and about it myself, no. <laughs> we have no. <laughs> Isn't it? <laughs> yeah. You know, and then last but not least, I want to say, you know, and even at times when we are not acting on wisdom and compassion because, you know, we're getting too much carried away, it can at least, you know, be there as a, as a, as a reflection, you know, afterwards that, who, you know, if I would have been more switched on, I wouldn't have done this, but 
it has already happened. So then at least, you know, I, I'm going to learn from it. You know, I allow that regret to kind of reverberate down into my heart. And then maybe next time, you know, I'm not going to get carried away again because I have taken that pain to heart, you know, not in order to punish myself and say I'm such a failure, I'm such a this or such a that, but just to not waste an opportunity, you know. And I think that's all I want to say today. So thank you for listening. And see you tomorrow. Huh? I don't know. Do you want? Is enough today, huh? Maybe enough. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.